Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Happy holidays. We're devoting this week's edition of Sports Business Radio to counting down the top 10 sports business stories of 2007, according to us here at Sports Business Radio. It's been a year full of sensational headlines. We're going to recap our top 10 stories on today's show. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Visit our new interviews page on our website featuring some of our best guest conversations from the past. Just click on the podcast toolbar and look for the drop-down interviews link. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach. Nathan, lots of big sports business stories in 2007, and we got our staff together, and we debated and bantered, and we settled on 10, and we're going to reveal them today on our show. Yeah, last year when we did this, I disagreed with you a lot more on some of the ones that we had chosen to be in that particular order. This year, I agree with you a little bit more, so it might not be as much banter, but uh, I don't think there'll be too many surprises in the top five. Now, the requirements for making our list, you had to have an important business element tied to your sports story, so it can't just be based on on the field or on the court performance. And obviously, the story had to take place in the calendar year 2007. So, you know, gosh, it's been, when you look at the media and the media coverage, you know what's interesting, and and we're part of the media, so we're guilty of some of this too, is it seems like the negative headlines are getting more attention than ever, and some of the positive headlines are being swept under the rug a little bit. You know, we've tried to talk about the positives. We've had people like Steve Nash on the show, and we've talked to agents and, you know, people who are doing good things in the world. And I think we can't forget those stories. But because of the sensational world that we live in today, negative stories seem to make headlines more than the positive ones for good, bad, or indifferent. Well, I would agree with you, but I don't know that it's the sensational world that we live in today. I I think that this is just reality, and we have to talk about this stuff because it's right there. We're not hyping this up any more than it needs to be. Some stories we are, but in this case, the stories you'll hear today are reality, and we have to talk about them. Well, and I do media training for a living, and one of the things I tell my clients is, you know what, you can find yourself on YouTube or in Facebook or on a blog in an instant. So wherever you are, you've got to watch what you're doing, and that's the world we live in today. Coming up next are top 10 sports business stories of the year. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. 
But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We are unveiling our top 10 sports business stories of the year 2007. Let's start with number 10. Another incredible year for one Eldrick Tiger Woods. He becomes more historic every single year, Nathan. This year, he earns $12.1 million in prize money, due in large part to the introduction of the new FedEx Cup. And by winning the FedEx Cup, he gets a $10 million bonus. And to put this in perspective, Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicklaus, they didn't make $10 million in their career, including the Seniors Tour. Tiger makes that in one day when he wins the FedEx Cup bonus of $10 million. Really amazing. Unbelievable. Normally I'd say, well, that's because of his sponsorships, but that is actually on the course. And, you know, he just signed a five-year, $100 million deal with Gatorade. I mean, what major company has this guy not touched? Just Gatorade, American Express, obviously Nike. And if you want to sell anything, Tiger Woods is a guy that can get it done for you. He's squeaky clean. He's got a you know great personality on and off the course, and he sells products. But like we talked to Tiger's agent, you know Tiger only works with brands that are long-term relationships. Yeah, I mean it's interesting because, like you said, uh, he parted ways with American Express this year after a long-term relationship with them, and right away he gets proposals. You know, when we talked to Mark Steinberg, his agent. He's got people lining up to work with him, and he only does long-term partnerships. So American Express goes away. Gatorade steps in five years, $100 million deal. So just between Gatorade and Nike, he's got $200 million worth of endorsement deals. That's not even counting his deals with Buick and Tag Heuer and EA Sports and some of these other companies that he works with. He really is a corporation in and of himself, but when you talk about his prize money. So he made about $100 million this year, most of it in endorsements, but he made more prize money in 2007 than ever before, again, because of the introduction of the FedEx Cup. Speaking of the FedEx Cup, a little bit controversial. Uh, some people didn't like the fact that players weren't forced to play in every event. For instance, the Mercedes-Benz Championship at the beginning of the year in Kapalua. We had Gary Planos on the show a few weeks ago. Well, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, not scheduled to play in that event. So they pick and choose what events they want to play in, and it's very unpredictable. And then the other thing that was controversial is the annuity. So you don't get this $10 million in a lump sum. You've got to wait years from now to get that payout. Some players aren't real thrilled with that. They want their money that they win today. Yeah, Tiger Woods, that's chump change. He probably doesn't care as much about other players about that, but certainly you got to give it to him up front. I mean, this is ridiculous. It's $10 million. So Tiger Woods won the season-ending Tiger or Target World Challenge. That's his tournament. He donated his $1.3 million paycheck to the Tiger Woods Learning Center. And, you know, that's one of the things about Tiger Woods that is very, very underreported. His Tiger Woods Learning Center in Orange County is doing wonderful things. Tiger donates millions of dollars every year. People say, hey, he's got a lot of money. He should donate. Agreed. But a lot of guys that have a lot of money don't donate. And he's one of those guys that quietly goes about his business of giving back to the community. So I think he deserves a little bit of credit for that. Our ninth 
biggest story of the year 2007, the Boston Red Sox win their second World Series since 2004. So they go 86 years without winning a World Series. They win in 2004. They win again this year, and they do so with the second biggest payroll in Major League Baseball, $143 million. And, Nathan, it was interesting to see the teams that were in the final four of Major League Baseball's playoffs. You had the Red Sox with the second biggest payroll, but then you had the Colorado Rockies, the Arizona Diamondbacks, and the Cleveland Indians, teams with moderate payrolls. So different ways to skin a cat, so to speak, and to get to that final four. But the Red Sox, you know, it's really amazing their organization and what they're able to do because they have the smallest ballpark in all of Major League Baseball, 39,600 seats. So they've got to charge a premium for their seats, and they've got to come up with other creative revenue streams to make the money because they don't have a 50,000-seat ballpark like some other clubs. Well, yeah, but there's Red Sox Nation. They have so much support, like I talked about with the Cubs last week on the show. They have so much support nationwide that they can charge that much for tickets, and they're really transcending sports. What is it? Uh, Fenway Roush Racing. Roush Fenway, Roush Fenway, Racing. Fenway Racing. I mean, they're doing things that no one else in Major League Baseball or other sports are doing. They're bridging that gap between NASCAR and Major League Baseball, and they've done it successfully. And they are one of the few exceptions, again, that spend a lot of money and win championships. But the Red Sox have been everywhere the last couple of years. Well, and you look at what they did with inroads into Japan this year. They go out and sign Daisuke Matsuzaka. They sign him. Basically, it cost them $103 million between the posting and the contract to get Daisuke. And they also signed Hideki uh, Okajima. So their games are being shown in Japan. The Red Sox brand is becoming more and more prevalent in Japan. They are going to open the 2008 season in Japan. So as we talk on this show all the time, Asia is an emerging market in our world for sports. And If you can get your brand over there, there are so many people over there that are potential consumers, and the Red Sox have tapped into that. So like you said, between the Roush Fenway Racing and the the foray into NASCAR, what they're doing in Japan with the Red Sox, and let's not forget, they run a pretty good farm system. They've pushed all the right buttons with three agent signings, anyone from uh, uh, David Ortiz to, you know, look at Dustin Pedroia, and uh, some of the other young guys that they brought up, Papelbon, they've got a strong farm system. So from top to bottom, the Red Sox really are a model sports organization. They've got strong ownership, and it paid big dividends in 2007. Well, yeah, and just going quickly back to Fenway, you think about the Yankees moving into the new $1 billion stadium next season, and there's only really going to be two iconic stadiums left that are small. Fenway and Wrigley now are kind of the only two stadiums left. So it'll be interesting to see moving forward how the Red Sox adapt to these growing pains. Our eighth biggest sports business story of the year 2007, Sonic's ownership is a mess, and they've applied to move the team to Oklahoma City. Now, Nathan, this is a story that made headlines all year long. Clay Bennett purchased the team in 2006 for $350 million, and a lot of people said from day one, you know, and I was one of them, it's a little bit shady here that the entire ownership group who just purchased the Sonics They're all from Oklahoma City, not one owner from the Pacific Northwest. That's a little bit strange. Well, then some interviews take place with some of the minority owners, and they spill the beans even to the point where they got fined by the NBA and said, well, really from day one, 
our intention all along was to move the team to Oklahoma City. We never really had any intention of staying in the Pacific Northwest. Then this big battle erupts because Clay Bennett says, I have formally filed an application to move from Seattle, the 14th biggest market in the country, to Oklahoma City, the 45th biggest market. And the people in Seattle say, wait a minute here. You've got a lease through the 2010 season. We're not letting you out of this lease. That's now a battle, and we're going to see where that winds up. And if Bennett has to stay through 2010 or if he's going to be able to move the team after this season. Well, first thing, David Stern came out and said that if the team moves from Seattle to Oklahoma City, Seattle can't expect to get another NBA team. Second, if you're a Seattle fan, the only way that we've talked about them staying in Seattle at this point is if Clay Bennett gets tired of waiting for that 2010 lease to expire and finally decides to resell the team to another ownership group. But otherwise, I think we can expect to see the team move in 2008 and you know what Seattle fans don't seem to care that much they got the Seahawks and they've got the Mariners there and everyone I talk to doesn't seem to be that concerned about the Sonics moving well and because of the fact that those taxpayers in Washington have already foot the bill for Safeco Field and for Quest Field they are now saying I'm not going to foot the bill for a new arena for the Sonics especially Clay Bennett after You've angered us so much. They are not going to support anything that Clay Bennett does. And it'll be interesting to see as the season goes on for the Sonics, does the attendance drop? Their record is not very good. Yes, they have Kevin Durant. But there's a lot of people that say, you know what? I'm not giving any of my money to Clay Bennett. Now, this is a very bad thing for the league. Again, you're moving from the 14th biggest market to the 45th biggest market. Really, Seattle is the gateway to the Pacific Rim, Asia, China, Japan, and The NBA is doing big business in China, so all around it's never a good thing when you move from a big market to a small market. We'll see how this plays out. That will be one of the things of 2008 that will be on our radar. Coming up next, more of our list, the top seven sports business stories of the year 2007. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Really confused about the business side of sports? This is Sports Business Radio. We are back and we are unveiling our top 10 sports business radio, sports business stories of the year 2007. We are now down to story number seven on our countdown, all the way down to number one. Our seventh biggest story of the year 2007. Dale Earnhardt Jr. leaves DEI for Hendrick Motorsports. Nathan, we talked about this one a lot during our show this year. He had a falling out with his stepmother, Teresa, and 
you know, it's really a shame. He has left the company that his father, Dale Sr., founded. He's gone to Hendrick Motorsports, and this is going to be big for Hendrick and for Dale Jr. and for NASCAR, for that matter, in 2008. He's got new sponsors, Mountain Dew's Amp Energy Drink, Army National Guard. He's left Budweiser, and he's going to switch from 8 to number 88. But one of the problems is, Nathan, he hasn't won any races in a long time. Yeah, he's only won two of his last 114 races, but yet Dale Earnhardt remains one of the biggest names in NASCAR, and he can still sell product. You put his face on stuff, and it's going to sell. It is sad that he had to leave DEI, but, you know, good luck to DEI moving forward. Hendrick Motorsports is just a giant now. Well, yeah, I mean, Hendrick Motorsports, you've got Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon, and Dale Earnhardt, and Jr. Dale Earnhardt Jr., three of the biggest names in NASCAR, in your garage, I mean, as we talked earlier in the year, we kind of compared it to, like, the New York Yankees. I mean, they've gone out and assembled a murderer's row of NASCAR drivers. They're paying a lot of money to do it, but they're bringing in a ton of money in sponsorship revenues from companies like Amp Energy Drink and Army National Guard. You know, and watch the merchandise sales go through the roof. Anytime an athlete switches or has a new color scheme, just like we've seen with Kevin Garnett, the new Celtics number 5 jersey is the number one selling jersey in the NBA. Well, there's going to be all kinds of new merchandise around the new number 88, the new sponsors, the new color scheme on the car, and it is going to be a merchandise bonanza for Dale Earnhardt Jr., for Hendrick Motorsports, and for NASCAR in 2008. Well, yeah, and you know, it's... Dale Earnhardt Jr. has become so synonymous with Budweiser that it's going to be hard for me to think of Dale Earnhardt without Budweiser or Dale Earnhardt without number eight because that's what you see on everybody's window, window stickers of number eight, and uh, everyone else is going to have to go out and buy all the new gear. But it will be interesting to see what effect Dale Jr. has on Amp Energy Drink, which is really an upstart, and also the Army National Guard, which to this point they've kind of They've done some sponsorship of NASCAR, and it's worked out well, but now they're jumping into the pool with all limbs and saying, we're going to spend a lot of money in NASCAR, and we're going to fix our logo to Dale Jr.'s car, so it'll be interesting. Meanwhile, Teresa Earnhardt, good luck at DEI. It's called Dale Earnhardt, Inc. Now you've got no Earnhardts racing for you, and you're pinning your hopes on Martin Truex. Good luck there, Teresa. Our sixth biggest story of the year 2007 David Beckham comes to America. He signs with the Major League Soccer's L.A. Galaxy. He really changes the face of U.S. soccer. The Galaxy signed him to a five-year, $250 million deal in July and in the process really helped shine the spotlight on American soccer. Now, as I said at the time of his signing, this is a tremendous thing for Beckham because, listen, he's in the twilight of his career. He's friends with Tom Cruise probably wants to do some acting. He's doing more underwear modeling. This is a good thing for him. He's in L.A. But how is this going to be for MLS in the long term? And already, Nathan, we've seen it opened some doors with sponsors. It was good for TV ratings. It was good for ticket sales. But wasn't so great when he got hurt, and people said, you know what, I spent money on sponsorships and ticket sales and jerseys, and the guy's not playing. Yeah, but it gives the MLS exposure. Like you said, the league did benefit. You know, Beckham's arrival gave MLS its two highest ratings ever on ESPN, a 9% increase in attendance league-wide, and, uh, you know, people are investing, you know, $30 million in two new teams that are coming. So Beckham has brought the spotlight to Major League Soccer. Now, whether he's playing or not, that's, you know, we'll have to see how that works out in the future, but 
But certainly people are talking about Major League Soccer that, that the way – Ways that they never have before. But Herbalife, you know, they paid a league-high $4 million to be on the front of the L.A. Galaxy jerseys. And, yes, it's great because a lot of Beckham jerseys are selling with that Herbalife sponsorship on the front. But it's bad when Beckham is hurt and he's on the sidelines dressed in an Armani suit and he's not wearing the Herbalife L.A. Galaxy jersey. Herbalife hat or something. Well, I mean, again, I wonder at what point, you know, he signed a five-year deal. If he doesn't play a lot next year and in the four remaining years of this deal, you know, I wonder if people are going to start to say, man, you know, we're paying this guy a lot of money. And yes, it was great that he shown the spotlight on our sport when he first got here, but he's not worth the money that we're paying. That's going to be the question. How is this going to be for the long haul? Our fifth biggest story of the year 2007. You want to talk about a lot of money? Alex Rodriguez signs the most lucrative contract in the history of team sports, it's a 10-year deal with the New York Yankees. It could reach $314 million if A-Rod reaches all of his incentives. Now, Nathan, the story here is not so much the fact that A-Rod signed the biggest contract because it was pretty much a foregone conclusion that he was going to get paid a lot of money. But how this all went about was really unlike anyone predicted. I mean, Scott Boris, who is known for being a cutthroat agent and getting exactly what he wants. He just, he was a buffoon on this deal. I mean, he he butchered this thing. Yeah, and you know, if you watch the 60 Minutes interview with A-Rod a couple weeks ago, you saw that A-Rod didn't expect it to go this way either. He also didn't expect that the World Series would be interrupted with this news. I think A-Rod was extremely disappointed. He finally sat down with Hal Steinbrenner himself and worked out a deal and basically pushed Boras to the side. And, you know, he's still paying him the commission. I don't think Boras should have even gotten half. No, I don't think he should have either. But, you know, it is interesting here because you're right. You know, he said the beginning of the end was when he was sitting there watching the World Series Game 4, and all of a sudden it's announced by Joe Buck that A-Rod is opting out. And A-Rod got just criticized to the hilt by media people. How could you interrupt the World Series, the sacred big stage and the platform for baseball to – you know, talk talk about your contract. Right. And, and that they really didn't set well with a lot of people. And then a rod was continuing to be criticized. And finally he said, you know what? I need to take control of my life. Now, speaking of taking control, he signed a management deal with a guy named Guy O'Siri, who's a former record company executive who manages musicians such as Madonna and Lenny Kravitz. One of the things about Alex Rodriguez that I've always said is the guy's a pretty good looking guy. He plays in New York, the biggest media market in the country, and he plays for an iconic team, the New York Yankees. When's the last time you saw him in a national commercial? You don't see him in commercials. I know. So if you don't see him in commercials, you know, Scott Boris, that's another thing he wasn't doing well for Alex Rodriguez. Why are you not getting some endorsement deals for this guy? He's had, you know, he has everything going for him to be able to sign some deals, but you never see him in any commercials. Well, and you have to look at what this is going to do for Scott Boris's future clientele. Probably not much. If I'm a, if I'm an athlete and I'm looking right now at Scott Boris, I don't know that I want to sign with this guy or continue with him. Well, and already Kenny Rogers, who was a free agent baseball pitcher, said, Scott Boris, see you later. I'll negotiate my own contract. He did that with the uh, Detroit Tigers, and we'll see if there's more fallout with Scott Boris. But, you know, Scott Boris was this guy, again, who was a cutthroat agent. 
people kind of hid under their desk when he walked into negotiations. Well, now there's a huge chink in the armor, and I don't think Alex Rodriguez is going to work with him anymore, and that really hurts the credibility of Scott Boris. Our fourth biggest sports business story of the year 2007, Tim Donaghy, a scandal that rocks the NBA. Tim Donaghy, a referee, really, as David Stern, the commissioner of the NBA, said, he went rogue. There was a gambling scandal, and, you know, it was just a real black eye when this story broke in July, and NBA commissioner David Stern had a press conference, and, you know, he did a great job, David Stern did, and really, as I wrote in my blog, I think he's the only commissioner in the league who could have pulled off such a press conference where he was proactive, he addressed all of the questions that he could answer at that time, but... You know, he kind of looked like a deer in headlights because this is not something, this breach of security was not something that Stern saw coming. And it sounds like he didn't learn about it until days before that press conference. Well, yeah, especially in the squeaky squeaky clean league that is the NBA. You know, David Stern is a man of perfection, and here he has this huge scandal in the NBA. It'll be interesting to see how it affects the NBA and referees moving forward. You know, there's been whispers of other gambling going on between referees. We'll have to see if anything comes out with that. The most important thing any league or team has is their integrity and their credibility. And when this scandal broke... Some people started to say, I told you those referees were crooked, and I told you those referees were fixing games. I mean, fans love to blame the referees for the outcome of games anyways. And after this story broke, we saw people breaking down tapes on YouTube and people saying, hey, look, here's patterns of this referee and that referee, and you can tell that these people are on the take. And again, this is not what the NBA needed. And by the way, it was a rough year for the NBA. I mean, Back in January, they had to switch back to the original leather ball after the synthetic game ball experiment failed. Uh, They had the whole flap with Amari Stoudemire and Boris Diaw being suspended in the Sun-Spurs playoff series. That really turned a lot of people off, including myself. And then you have this referee scandal. So it has been a year of crises for NBA Commissioner David Stern. The NBA Finals ratings, as we talked last week in our headlines, Uh, They were the worst they've ever been. So if you're David Stern, you'll be happy when the calendar flips over to 2008 and you can put 2007 behind you. Well, yeah, and it it wasn't just a bad year for the NBA. This could have been a year where the NBA looked really good with NFL and uh, Major League Baseball, and yet they went right down the tubes with those other two giants. Yeah, it was a year of scandals in North American sports, and the NBA took their share of lumps. Coming up in our next segment, We are going to unveil the top three sports business radio, sports business stories of the year 2007. And if you kind of do uh, addition by subtraction here, I bet you can guess what our top three stories are. Uh, I'll give you a hint. There's some drugs and there's some dog fighting. And that's all I'll tell you. And you can probably guess. Coming up next, our top three sports business stories of 2007. Bobby, you're terrible. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, 
hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. Okay, everyone, we are down to our top three sports business stories of 2007. Number three, Barry Bonds becomes Major League Baseball's all-time home run king, passing Hank Aaron, but he's also indicted for perjury and obstruction of justice. Nathan, quite a year for Barry Lamar Bonds. On August 7, 2007, Bonds hits home run number 756 at AT AT&T Park in San Francisco. He breaks Hank Aaron's all-time home run record. Shortly after that, we talk about that record-setting ball bought by fashion designer Mark Echo. He bought it for $752,000. And then you remember we talked on our show about that interesting contest and website that Echo developed. Well, yeah, he was going to talk about whether or not it should be blasted into space, it should be sent to the Hall of Fame, or should it be sent to the Hall of Fame with an asterisk. Well, they uh, the voters said, send it to the Hall of Fame with an asterisk. I voted to have it blasted into space. Very cool what he did, but you know what? Regardless of if the ball has an asterisk next to it, his home run, home run record should have an asterisk next to it. Well, and it took a while for Bonds to break the record. It seemed like it took forever for him to hit 756. If you remember Bud Selig, a lot of people debated, is he going to go on the road? Is he going to be in attendance during the home run? Turned out that he wasn't in attendance during that night, but he had been in attendance for many previous nights before that. So that was kind of a a point of contention for many. And then a lot of people debated, huge debate in this country, about how authentic is this record now? Should there be an asterisk? And obviously, by that contest that Mark Echo ran, the public overwhelmingly thinks there should be an asterisk and that Hank Aaron is still the true home run champion. Now, on September 21st, the Giants announced that they would not re-sign Bonds. Let's remember, Bonds has played in San Francisco since 1993, but the Giants clearly had enough of the antics and the negative publicity that came with having Barry Bonds on your team. Yeah, and you know what? I don't know that Barry Bonds will ever play for another team at this point moving forward. I think Barry Bonds is done in baseball. The Giants have come out and said that maybe as an honor, if he stays out of jail, and this was before the indictment, maybe as an honor to Bonds, they'll sign him you know, just so he can retire in San Francisco. But I think this is the last of Barry Bonds. Well, and the Giants put up with him for a long time and, quite frankly, they, uh, turned a blind eye for they did. years. And I don't feel bad for the Giants, so what if they put up with him? They knew what they were getting into. So the last story of the year on Barry Bonds, December 7th, Bonds found himself in a San Francisco courtroom facing perjury and obstruction of justice charges. Bonds could face two years in prison if convicted. This is going to play out in 2008. It's probably going to go to trial in October, November of 2008. That's why some people said if he did play baseball, he'd be able to make it through the 2008 season without the trial because that would take place after the season. But this is going to be a headline in 2008. Can he stay out of jail? How much money is he going to have to pay to assemble a high-powered legal team that's going to keep him out of jail? 
What kind of jury is he going to get in San Francisco? And how much money is he going to have to continue to pay Greg Anderson to stay quiet? Yeah, that's the, the mystery of all mysteries. Greg Anderson, I mean, we saw Brian McNamee sell uh, Roger Clemens and Andy Pettit up the river. Kirk Radomski sang like a canary in the Mitchell <laughs> Report. But Greg Anderson is willing to go to jail for most of 2008 after his wife just gave birth to their child. If Greg Anderson isn't getting paid at least $5 million, I think he's an idiot for really sticking, you know. I mean, there's a point to your loyalty, and I think we talked about this earlier in the year. I'm not going to spend a year in jail after my wife just gave birth to a child because I feel a loyalty to a guy who used drugs and I'm trying to protect him. I'm not going to spend a day in jail for that. And, you know, I think with Barry Bonds, he might make our top 20 next year again, maybe even in the top two. He may may even be in jail with Michael Vick for a while. Well, we will see. Our second biggest sports business radio story of the year 2007 The Mitchell Report rocks Major League Baseball. Now, this is a story that just broke this month, and it's bound to be a huge story into 2008. After 20 months, the Mitchell Report was finally released. The report was 409 pages long. The cost of the report was estimated anywhere from $25 million to $60 million. A lot of people like us said, you know what, what is the point of this report? George Mitchell doesn't have subpoena power. Uh, No one's talking to him. Really, the only people that talked to him were Kirk Radomski and Brian McNamee. And yes, they gave him a list of names. But other than that, he could have submitted this report on a napkin in about two months because he had no further evidence because no one would talk to him. Yeah, $25 million later at the bare minimum. But the question you have to ask is, what is this going to do for Major League Baseball moving forward? You know, Selig came out and said there will no longer be a 24-hour grace period where players will be notified about you know performance-enhancing drugs. I think Selig has to be gone before Major League Baseball can move out of this steroid era. Well, that's what I said when this story broke, is that Bud Selig and Donald Fear, the players' union rep, they should both resign in disgrace because, really, this has all happened under their watch. And, by the way, I think owners of these teams need to share some of the blame, too. I hate to say it, but Peter McGowan in San Francisco, come on. He's known for a long time that Barry Bonds wasn't clean, yet he continues to pay him $20 million a year because he knows he's hitting home runs and bringing fans into his ballpark. The owners know this is going on, and unless the owners are penalized for the players that use performance enhancement drugs, I think this problem's going to continue. I would love nothing more than to see baseball overhauled, a new players' union rep, a new commissioner with some clever ideas, And by the way, can we finally find a test for a human growth hormone? Steroids have been banned, human growth hormone banned, but there's no test to detect it. So unless you can have these trails of canceled checks, and even then you don't have a blood test or 100% certainty that the player used, and that's kind of what Roger Clemens' argument is going to be. I mean, Roger Clemens was the face of the Mitchell Report, and if anyone has the most to lose of any player named in that report, it's Roger Clemens. I mean, this is a guy who is a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer. Now, a lot of people are saying, you know what, he's no different than Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds isn't getting in. He may be the greatest hitter statistically of all time. Roger Clemens probably won't get in, and he may be the greatest pitcher statistically of all time. This is a big, big story, and how Clemens tries to clear his name, is he able to clear his name? Does he 
fall to public pressure like Pettit and some of these other guys have where they finally came out and said, you know what, all right, I tried it. I did it twice. I made a mistake. You know, I did it. But will Clemens do it? Because Clemens has vehemently denied doing this, has said, I have never in my entire life used performance enhancement drugs. Brian McNamee, the trainer for Roger Clemens and the trainer for the Yankees, says differently. Unfortunately for Roger Clemens, he's already been convicted and tried in uh, the court of public opinion. And, he, you know, he may never get in the Hall of Fame just on that alone, even if he is innocent. Now, obviously, there were a ton of big names in this. Miguel Tejada, Eric Vanye, Mo Vaughn. Eric Gagne and Mo Vaughn, I mean, that's only a fraction of other athletes out there that have used steroids or are continuing to use steroids. It'd be interesting to see how many other players out there, big name, Hall of Famers, all-stars, that would or should be on this list. So going forward in 2008, things to watch. I mean, let's remember that the owners didn't have an agreement banning steroids until September 2002. They banned HGH in January of 2005. Again, there's no test for HGH. Bud Selig is saying, I'm going to bring together the best scientists in all the world and we're going to find human growth hormone testing so we can detect it. Will that happen in 2008? That's going to be something to watch. I also think this report, because it wasn't shown to the Major League Baseball Players Association in advance, there's going to be a bigger divide than ever before between the players and the Major League Baseball owners. The good news is, though, is that C-League and Fear have said they will get together, and I think one of the reasons they have said they'll get together and talk about this and the recommendations in the Mitchell report is because none of them want to go in front of Congress again. Because, listen, if they go in front of Congress and then there is the power of the subpoena and people can start facing jail time, it's going to get real ugly for Major League Baseball. And please, Bud C-League and George Mitchell, spare us all the, the rhetoric about how now that this report is done, that we can all turn the page on the steroid era. The steroid era is going to continue until there's a test for HGH. These scientists and the cheaters are already developing the next, the next drug that can't be detected for performance enhancement. That's going to be used. This problem is going to continue as long as there are ways to cheat. Well, and I agree with you on that, but I think a lot of people are ready to move on now. With the indictment of Barry Bonds, with the Mitchell report, I think the general public has said, okay, they've, they've nailed down a bunch of these guys. They're in the process of moving forward. Let's see where we go from here. The biggest story, the number one story of the year 2007, and this really transcended sports, Michael Vick, Atlanta Falcons quarterback, really the face of the NFL for the last several years, 10-year, $130 million contract he had in his pocket, endorsements with Nike and Rawlings and Coca-Cola. He's sentenced to 23 months in prison for his role in a dogfighting conspiracy that involved gambling and killing pit bulls. Now, Nathan, one of the reasons this was a big story is because there's a basic rule in our society, in North American society, Western civilization. If you do graphic harm to children or animals, that's going to be big news. And Michael Vick was such a big star in the NFL, and he was making so much money, $130 million, and was seen in all these commercials. And he did such graphic harm to animals, to pit bulls, that not only were sports fans talking about this, but you had morning news shows, you had PETA protesting. I mean, this was a story that in the news cycle dominated headlines 
sports, news, entertainment, everywhere. Yeah, and never in the history of sports that I can think of, especially with all the endorsement deals as of late, have we seen an athlete fall from the top so quickly and so hard. The guy is not only broke and probably owes more money than he's got, but he's now have to spend time in jail, lost all of his endorsements, and will come out and may not be able to ever play in the NFL again. I mean, this is enormous. Well, and he really made some mistakes. I mean, the first mistake is being involved with pit bulls and gambling. The second mistake is point-blank lying to NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell in April when Goodell point-blank asked him, are you involved with dogfighting? And Vic said no. Don't underestimate that answer when Vic gets out of prison in roughly 18 to 23 months because then Goodell is going to look at Vic and say, am I going to say you've paid the price for your punishment or is he going to suspend him a year like they did with Pac-Man Jones and Chris Henry and Tank Johnson? I know Chris Henry and Tank Johnson were suspended for a year, but Pac-Man Jones was. So if you're Michael Vick, He's going to be about 29 years old when he gets out. He could be 30 years old before he's back on a field if Roger Goodell says, after you get out of prison, I'm going to penalize you another year for lying to me and for basically being sentenced to prison. Yeah, and don't forget about the marijuana use as well. Now, what are you doing amidst all this chaos using marijuana and then getting busted for it? I mean, these are all steps down his road. And, you know, I got to be honest. When he apologized and gave his apology and everything, the more I've read, the more I've actually started to forgive Michael Vick. I think the steps that he's taken following this are positive ones that I don't condone dogfighting nor forgive him for that. Well, he went, to, he, he went to jail early. Yep. Um, he has paid a million dollars for the care of the 47 pit bulls that were part of that operation that need homes and needed medical treatment. Uh, Even his letter to the judge. Right, Judge Henry Hudson. But that didn't work because Hudson still gave him the maximum penalty. And all the other people that wrote letters to him as well. So, again, when it's all said and done, Michael Vick is probably going to lose about $140 million in endorsements and player money. He's going to have to pay back the Falcons. He's got to pay $6 million in loans. And he had to pay a million dollars for the care of the Pitbulls. A big, big fall from grace for Michael Vick. And for that reason... Michael Vick's fall from grace was the number one sports business story of 2007. Coming up next, our last segment of the year 2007, some predictions from the Sports Business Radio staff for 2008. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training monitoring and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. 
The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We are back for our final segment of the year 2007. We've unveiled our top 10 sports business radio Sports Business Stories of the Year 2007. We'll post them on our website at sportsbusinessradio.com if you want to check them out. Prediction time for 2008. Nathan, I'm going to start with you. Give me one or two predictions for the year 2008. Well, here are my two predictions. And you know I'm a Cubs fan. I think that in 2008 the Cubs are going to at least make the World Series. They put together a great team, and I think last year they were close. Next year they'll make it to the World Series. My other prediction, my tennis idol, his record, Pete Sampras, 14 Grand Slams, will fall this year to Roger Federer. Okay, Bobby. First one. Tiger Woods wins three majors this year. Okay, that's a good one. He's, I think there's a good chance that that he's happens. He's going to win the Open, the Masters, and the PGA Championship. Wow, even breaks him down. The U.S. Open at Torrey Pines this year. Tiger has won four of the last five PGA events held there in the Buick Invitational. And my other one, you'll see a major merger between a sports apparel company and a sports equipment company. Like? Uh, Nike and Wilson, maybe. Okay. Wow. We'll keep our eyes open for that. I'm going to give you a few predictions of my own. Number one, I don't think Barry Bonds is going to find any takers for his services. I think his career is done. 762 is now the number to beat for players like Alex Rodriguez. Number two, I think the BCS is going to announce a plus one format, but it won't start until 2010. Number three, I think Michelle Wee is going to get off the schneid. She's going to win her first LPGA tournament. Why? Because she's finally getting wise, or the people advising her are getting wise, and she's not going to play any PGA Tour events. So I think if she's just playing LPGA Tour events, I think she's going to break through and win on the LPGA Tour. Lots of thank yous. It's been a great year here in 2007 on Sports Business Radio. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast anytime you want. Just go to SportsBusinessRadio.com and click on the podcast page. Visit our new interviews page on our website featuring some of our best interviews. Just go to SportsBusinessRadio.com slash interviews. You know, it's been a fantastic year. I got to go to China and see up close where the Olympics are going to take place in August of 2008. We've got some really impressive things on tap for 2008, and I think we're going to have some more great guests, key decision makers from the world of sports on our show in 2008. I'm Brian Berger. On behalf of all of us here at Sports Business Radio, we wish you a happy new year, and we'll talk to you next weekend. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com. <laughs>